<laughs> What's going on, hardliners? Welcome. Not sure if you knew this, but we're in a war against an evil faction that just won't quit. But little do they know, with Christ Jesus in our heart, we will win this war because this is the Lord's fight. We are firm, we're steadfast, and we're uncompromising. As it states in Joshua 1.9, I command you, be strong and steadfast. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Welcome to His Hard Line. Let's get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, hardliners. Thank you for joining us for another His Hardline discussion. And today we are discussing the Grand Jury de Jure. Now, you might be wondering, what is that? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit. But first, just a few show notes here. Just kind of, you know, I feel like I haven't really been um, pushing this as much as I really want to. Um and so if you could do me a favor, um, share this website, www.hishardline.com. On there, there's a few links. You'll see a link on there. One says assembly, one says podcast, one says his hardline, HHL post. Um, and there's another one. I forgot what it says. You, you know, you'd figure it. I'd remember everything on there. Um, but the most important one on there is, is oh media that's what it was that shows uh, what social media platforms i'm on which is very few by the way it's just telegram we have a telegram channel you can find us it's uh at his hardline show um we're on gab and yes we're fairly active on there um so we got telegram we got gab we do have uh rumble that we post videos but the only only reason we do that is so we can like add interactive videos on the website but i've discovered that um some of their formatting isn't the way I need it to um, kind of more technical stuff. I can't really, I don't really want to get into, but, um, but I still have a YouTube. I'm not advertising that cause I hate YouTube, but YouTube does have a certain formatting with videos that when I upload it onto uh, the website uh, design program that I use, um, it shows up regular with a desktop and then it um, shrinks it down into perfect size on a cell phone. Whereas for some reason, the rumble, um, platform doesn't do that uh and it just looks sloppy from a mobile perspective when you're going to my website so i use youtube for the sake of using them not to make money off of them just to be clear um i can't stand youtube but as far as their um you know that whole thing goes with the technical part of the uh, how the video shows up when i embed it you know in the code um it just shows up cleaner on the mobile side of things as opposed to rumble. So hopefully rumble gets that fixed, but anyway, so, um, but yeah, share this website far and wide, share this podcast far and wide. Consider this your donation to me. Okay. I don't ask for money. Um, I, I don't, 
make you subscribe to anything. All I ask is that you you share this with 10 friends and family members, coworkers, whoever, okay, um, via email. Okay, all you have to do, you could copy the link. All right, there's either www.hishardline.com and, you know, there's the podcast there that people could listen to without even having a Podbean account or share this, you know, podcast through email, text message, social media, whatever, word of mouth. I don't care how you do it, but please do me this favor because this is the only way we're going to grow. And we're not going to just all of a sudden overnight have like millions of downloads and be like, hey, look at us. We are doing so great because, listen, I don't buy any of that with some of these podcasters out here that say all like, all like, you know, you get some of these guys out here. They're like, oh, over the last month and a half, I've increased my listenership by over a million, you know, views and, you know, a million downloads or whatever. You know, I here's the thing. There's technology out there and bots where you can increase the numbers of your follows and likes on social media platforms and on video platforms like YouTube. Don't think that it can't be done with with podcast platforms. So if you see me go from like a few hundred, you know, a few thousand to all of a sudden a few million within like a eight to 12 month period, you know, something's up because listen, I know word of mouth is the best form of advertising, right? You advertise what you really enjoy, what you like, what you have passion for, right? Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't share it with friends and family. But there's no way on God's green earth that word of mouth through man without the intervention of God, mind you, okay? I'm just going to put that out there without the intervention of God. But there's no way on God's green earth that through just man and man alone that advertising through word of mouth, it's gonna be so is gonna spread like fire that someone's gonna go from a few hundred thousand to like several million in a matter of months. There's just no way. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I mean, even the president can't even get that. I'm sorry. Just that ain't that ain't happening. Unless you're Trump, I guess. But whatever. But share this far and wide, please, please. I, I'm really asking you as this, you know, as a favor for us, for me, for God, for Christ, because this is really important for the for the future of this nation. And the reason I say that is because today's topic we're going to be discussing is the grand jury. Now, it is as I'm recording this right now, it is Easter Sunday, but this is going to be meant for Tuesday. I'm going to be dropping this on Tuesday. So if you're listening to this, it is April. <laughs> Let's see if I can get this right. So today's the 17th, right? So Tuesday should be the 19th. It is. Tuesday, April 19th, 2022, (laughs) but I'm recording this on Easter Sunday on the 17th. Um, But anyway, I hope you all had a wonderful Easter, by the way, and I hope you didn't eat too much. And I hope you all had a wonderful, happy resurrection day. That's what I'm going to call it because Easter was actually originally on a pagan holiday. And I just, I got to get away from calling it Easter. I really do because it's, I've learned a lot about that. And maybe we'll talk about that on another show. Um, But anyways, let's get going the reason here's the thing the reason i am discussing i'm uh, or i'm doing this recording now i'm doing this podcast now is because i typically do tuesdays and thursdays as my his hardline discussions as we all know and when i was in kentucky i my schedule was kind of thrown off for obvious reasons now i'm back home I'm trying to get back in the swing of things but because we have a uh, a meeting that we typically do on sundays today as a matter of fact but because it's easter we had to push it to tuesday and, and so, uh, we got that and we're going to be doing our meeting on Tuesday just for this week. Um, uh, but we have what's called our introductory, uh, introduction to self-governance class that we are doing our presentation. I should say not even a class, but a presentation meeting for folks, uh, in our area in Muskegon and, or, you know, in Muskegon, West Michigan area, um, that want to come and, um, 
know what we're doing in the assemblies. Because again, what we're doing in assemblies, yes, it, it we have to keep assembly business meeting uh, tight-lipped because there, there are there obviously there are big reasons for that. But being part of the assembly is no secret. Like you can be an assemblyman. It's not like being part of the Masons, like where you can't talk about anything, right? It's not like that at all. Yet we can't discuss assembly business because assembly business is actually very vital to what we have going on. All right. And we can't, I mean, many, there's been a few assemblies that have fallen because of the simple fact that people were open mouthed about some of the business and the wrong information got to the wrong ears and it crushed county and state assemblies. And the reason Michigan has been doing so well for so long is because of the simple fact that we've been able to conduct ourselves properly and not be a loose lip that sinks ships, if you will. Right. So, um, we have that going on today. If you're, you know, if you're listening to this on Tuesday today, okay, because that's, I'm in charge of discussing the grand jury. All right. And that's what we're going to discuss today. So I figured this would be very fitting since the meeting I'm going to be doing, um, part of my presentation is discussing the importance and the functions of the grand jury. Now, I've already done a podcast about this previously, but I had learned a few more things since then, and I'm continuously learning. Okay. Now, the grand jury, a lot of the information that I read and had learned from was uh, is from um, – a lot of the information regarding grand juries is from, uh, there's a, a manual out there. It's called Corpus Juris Secundum, volume 38A. And it's a, uh, a contemporary statement of American law. And it's derived from reported cases and legislation that have happened in the past. Now, as I said before, in a previous podcast, okay, the grand jury belongs to the people. And that was a quote from Antonin Scalia in 1992. So back in the uh, U.S. in the Supreme Court case of uh, the United States v. Williams, back in 1992, Justice Antonin Scalia was writing for the majority and confirmed that the American grand jury is neither part of the judicial, executive, nor legislative branches of government, but instead belongs to the people. Okay. Now, a lot of people have heard the term grand jury. But what is the grand jury? Now, according to the Corpus Juris Secundum, Volume 38A, it states a grand jury is a body of men selected and summoned according to law to serve before a competent court and by such court impaneled, sworn, and charged to inquire with regard to crimes committed within its jurisdiction and to present all offenders against the law in the mode and manner defined by it. It is sometimes called a grand inquest, a term denoting a body with powers of investigation and inquisition. The grand jury holds a high place as an instrument of justice. Now, in this one slide I have, because I have 12 slides that I'm going to be going over in the introduction to self-governance regarding the grand juries. 
Now, granted, I got this information from the Corpus Juris Secundum, volume 38A, and even though it says a grand jury is a body of men, I also added in there, and women, selected and summoned according to the law to serve before a competent court. So that's what the grand jury is. Now, the functions of the grand jury, it actually serves as a dual function. Now, the first function is that it determines if there is probable cause to believe that a person has committed a crime so that he should be formally charged and required to stand trial and files charges and causes of prosecution, if there is such probable cause. And the second function is that it protects the citizens against unfounded prosecutions. Well, what do you mean? Well, the grand jury is a primary security to the innocent against hasty, malicious, and oppressive prosecution and stands between the accused and the accuser to determine whether a charge is founded upon reason or was dictated by an intimidating power or by malice and personal ill will. And so the grand jury serves a dual function. Now, this is very important to hear. I need you to hear this because this is very vital. Now, you've often heard me say that we have a de facto government. And a lot of people, when I, even when I first started into the assemblies, I've always wondered what the heck is de facto, de jure? Like every time I kept hearing the word de jure, I kept thinking soup de jure, right? Like, what is that? Now, this is very important because this was in, uh, I believe, uh, was section eight in the, uh, you know, in the Corpus Juris Secundum 38A, where it says that there cannot be a grand jury de facto when there is a grand jury de jure. What does that mean? Well, let's go over a couple words here for a second. We're going to kind of define de jure and define de facto. Now, de jure, spelled D-E space J-U-R-E, is Latin, literally meaning of law, thus legitimate, lawful, by right of law, according to law. Jure is ablative of ius, meaning law. Jur, okay, meaning jury, jur, okay. A grand jury de jure is one that belongs to the people. It's by, for, and of the people. That is the highest court in the land, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Yes, it supersedes the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that in the Seventh uh, Amendment. Now, de facto, de facto, that's by the corporation, by the British Royal Crown, the Vatican, D.C. De facto is Latin, literally meaning in fact, in reality, thus existing, but not necessarily legally ordained or morally right. From facto, Ablative of factum, meaning a deed or an act. 
de facto. That's what we have going on at the moment that's trying to fight for their power. Because they know what's going on. They know the people are getting the power back. It's not an overnight thing. You think they're going to leave and let go of their power willingly and say, okay, um, you guys are in charge now. I guess we've lost the fight. No, no, gosh, no, no. That's not how that works. We're talking about some very evil, sick, twisted, power-hungry, demonic people. If you even can call them people. They don't care about us. You think they're going to let their power go that easily once the people come back and back in control and have self-governance the way it was meant to be with God back at the throne? Absolutely not. Now, the grand jury de jure is concerned with facts and not statutes. Okay. We don't, the grand jury de jure does not look at cases based off of, you know, who broke what statute, right? A grand jury proceeding is a criminal proceeding, even though it may result in a civil contempt citation. And it has been said that grand juries are concerned with facts, not statutes. And some of the crimes in common law that are tried under a grand jury would be crimes of, if you can, you know, bodily harm, theft, fraud, murder, rape, property destruction, and my favorite, abuse of power by elected and appointed officials, including judges. Those are the crimes that, under common law, are tried under a grand jury. Now, the grand jury de jure, in effect, is, in effect, a fourth branch of government. Jason, what are you talking about? A fourth branch? There's only three. Mm -mm. This is a fourth branch of government. Even the late Justice Antonin Scalia has made that comment being as such. But Jason, they didn't tell us that in school. I know they didn't, did they? You mean you mean the public school system that's bought and paid for by the British Royal Crown and DC Corporation? You mean that public school? You mean the, the you mean the indoctrination camps that that try to groom children? You mean those those public schools? Yeah, of course they won't tell you that. They don't want you to understand what kind of power you have as, as the people in this nation, as a national. But listen, it is an effective fourth branch of government, governed and administered to directly by and on behalf of the American people. And its authority emanates from the Bill of Rights. Thus, the citizens have the unbridled right to impanel their own grand juries and present true bills of indictment to a court, which is then required to commence a criminal proceeding. Our founding fathers presciently thereby created a buffer 
the people may rely upon for justice when public officials, including judges, crimin criminally violate the law. Yes, yeah, so you got we the people, okay, at the top. All right, first off, let's be clear. We're not at the top. We got God at the top, okay? So you got God at the top, all right? God created man, so now you got the people, which is we the people. And then you have what's called the grand jury. That's that uh, That's that red line that they cannot cross. Who's they? Well, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branches of government. All right. So the grand jury, which is, uh, you know, put together by and on behalf of the American people. And again, remember, the authority emanates from the Bill of Rights, not the Constitution. So if the legislative, executive, or judicial branches of government, and yes, that falls under the corporation, of course, they're all under that, right? We, the people, impanel our own grand juries, and we try them, and we investigate them, and we present true bills of indictment, which again, like I said, is then required to commence a criminal proceeding. That's our buffer. They are, the grand jury is a referee between the lower three branches of government and we the people. All right. That's why the grand jury is essentially basically a fourth branch of government. That is that red line that the lower three branches cannot cross over into the territory of we the people. Because remember, we the people are their boss. We are the legislative, executive, and judicial branches boss. We have authority over them. But they wouldn't tell you that in school, would they? They don't want you knowing that. No. Now, what, what did Justice, the late Justice Antonin Scalia say about the grand juries? He said, and I quote, The grand jury is mentioned in the Bill of Rights, but not in the body of the Constitution. That is correct. It has not been textually assigned, therefore, to any of the branches described in the first three articles. It is a constitutional fixture in its own right. In fact, the whole theory of its function is that it belongs to no branch of the institutional government serving as a kind of buffer or referee between the government and the people. What did I just say earlier? So when the lower three branches of government usurp their powers and they step out of bounds, guess what? We, the people, impanel the grand juries to make sure that they, there's a checks and balance there, and we make sure that they stay in their lane. We smack them down when they step out of line. That's what we, the people, do because they work for us. We don't serve them. We don't work for them. We're not their serfs. We're not their little servants. We're not subjects, no. But because they work for the de facto, that's exactly what they look at us like. They don't care about you and I. Why? Because they they swear an allegiance to the British Royal Crown and the Vatican. Justice Antonin Scalia also said, the grand jury is an institution separate from the courts over whose functioning the courts do not preside. We think it's clear that as a general matter, at least, that no such supervisory judicial authority exists. The common law of the Fifth Amendment demands a traditional functioning grand jury. 
Huh? Well, let's look at the Fifth Amendment for a minute. And then we're going to take a quick peek at the Seventh Amendment. Now, the Fifth Amendment says that no no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless a presentment or indictment of a grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Let's go back to the top of that. What did that say? That was very important. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. Huh? Let's read that again. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. There's that. So if we go back, again, it says, the common law of the Fifth Amendment demands a traditional functioning grand jury. And because the grand jury is an institution separate from the courts, whose function, who's functioning the court's do not preside. Again, like Justice Antonin Scalia, the late Antonin Scalia said that they think it's clear that as a general matter, at least that there is no such supervisory judicial authority exists over the grand juries. But the common law of the Fifth Amendment does demand a traditional functioning grand jury. Now, if we look at Amendment 7 there for a minute, it states, in suits at common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. Let's read a certain sentence. And no fact tried by a jury no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court, any court, any court of the United States, any court. Yes, that means the Supreme Court too. Meaning, translation, the grand jury supersedes the Supreme Court. Really? Yes. What else did Justice Antonin Scalia say about the grand juries? Although the grand jury normally operates, of course, in the courthouse and under judicial auspices, its institutional relationship with the judicial branch has traditionally been, so to speak, at arm's length. Judges' direct involvement in the functioning of the grand jury has generally been confined to the constitutive one of calling, calling the grand jurors together and administering their oaths of office. The grand jury's functional independence 
from the judicial branch is evident both in the scope of its power to investigate criminal wrongdoing and in the manner in which that power is exercised. That was something that Antonin Scalia also said. He also said that the grand jury can investigate merely on suspicion. Think about that for a minute. The grand jury can investigate merely on suspicion that the law is being violated or even because it wants assurance that it is not. It need not identify the offender it suspects or even the precise nature of the offense it is investigating. The grand jury requires no authorization from its constituting court to initiate an investigation, nor does the prosecutor require leave of court to seek a grand jury indictment. And in its day-to-day -day functioning, the grand jury generally operates without the interference of a presiding judge. It swears in its own witnesses and deliberates in total secrecy. That is correct. The grand jury can investigate on anybody they want on just simple suspicion if they think that the law is being violated by any one person that's in the legislative, executive, judicial branch or within, listen, or within the assemblies, right? Or just anyone in general. If they think that there's a crime being committed, yeah, they can investigate just on suspicion. Or even if there's no suspicion, they just want assurances that, that the law is not being broken. And they don't need to identify, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't need to identify who they're, who they're, uh, you know, investigating. They don't have to let anybody know the, the nature of the offense. The grand jury requires no authorization, you know, no, no authorization from its constituting court to initiate an investigation. Which is one of the reasons why the act of 1871 was able to be voided out. I'm not going to go in great detail on that, but maybe when I get Mr. Destry Payne on here to do an interview, uh, we discuss these things a little bit more greater at greater length. He can maybe discuss that, you know, at greater length possibly because he has before. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's, a, <laughs> there, ladies and gentlemen, listen, there is a reason why you're seeing a lot of what's happening. All right. And I have continuously said that. And, and you're probably thinking, well, Jason, why don't you tell us? Well, I have been telling you and I've been sharing a lot of information. And if you want to know more, why don't you get involved on in your local county assembly and your state assembly? You will learn just as much as I have. Listen, I have never been one who has been a big history person. I could care less about history when I was in my younger years, my younger formative years. But here's the thing. The older I get, the more I start to realize the importance on history and why it's so relevant and why we need to learn from history and and why we need to really dig back to old historical documents and get back to the foundations of where we came from how we started where we were as a people where we are where we are going and why that's important we have lost so much of our freedoms and liberties in this nation it's not even funny i mean literally it's not even funny it's not a joking matter but people are so lulled to sleep and so dumbed down. As long as they, you know, they got their, 
you know, they got their their smartphone and they got their TV and their sports and they got their Netflix and they got this and they got that. And as long as they, you know, life for them is 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 fine for them. Um, you know, they, they, they don't, they don't care outside of, you know, their own, what's going on in their own little bubble. They don't care. I was there. I was the same way, but listen, people, ladies and gentlemen, hardliners, if we don't get a grip on this and actually take back our power and get back into a form of self-governance, the way we were supposed to be. We are in for a very dangerous future in this nation, I promise you. Which brings me to the Jural Covenant of Office, the JCO. What's the JCO? It's one of the three documents that it's one of the three documents that we sign when we become an assembly member. And you can be too. You want to be involved in a local level. But Jason, what's the Jural Covenant Office? What's a JCO? What is that? Well, it's a declaration to support, protect, and defend the national God-given rights and liberty of the people of the free and independent state of whatever state you're representing. For me, it's Michigan. It is essentially a covenant that you make with the people in your own respective state. It's kind of like a covenant that you have with your spouse in a marriage. The JCO is actually based, believe it or not, on the 1638 Connecticut Fundamental Orders. That was technically, if you want to get technical, that was technically the first constitution before the constitution for the United States of America came about. That's where a lot of, where we derive a lot of what we do is from not just, you know, the declaration of independence and, you know, the constitution, but, you know, we derive a lot of our foundation based on previous documents like the 1638 Connecticut fundamental orders and the Magna Carta and the, um, and the, uh, oh goodness, there's another document out there that I'm thinking it, um, you can see here. Oh, it's fleeting me now. The Mayflower Compact, Compact, there it is. But that's where a lot of our foundation comes from, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible, the Holy Bible, especially the Holy Bible. Listen, in short, here's the thing. Like I said before. God created man. Therefore, man is never above God. In similar fashion, we the people created the Constitution. The people, through the Constitution, created the government, which would be the legislative, executive, and judicial branches. And because the people created the government, that makes us their boss. We're above the government, just like God is above we, the people. The federal government was limited, key word, was limited to only a few ways it could serve us, never to rule over us in any way. 
And as we stated before, the grand juries are the buffer between the people and the government on all levels. I hope you ladies and gentlemen learned something. And I don't say that to be condescending or a smart aleck. I'm really, I really mean that. I really hope you learned something today. I am always learning. If you're going to be in the assembly, let me be very clear. Now, not everybody's going to be cut for this. Well, what do you mean, Jason? What I mean is if you're somebody who is too caught up in your life and worrying about statistics of different sports, uh, you know, uh, teams and players and, you know, who did what and who had what record at what year. If you're more worried about that than, than say, I, I don't know, the future of your nation in which your children and grandchildren will be living in long after you're gone and you're worm food. If you don't care enough about that, this isn't for you. All right. If you're more concerned about getting that 12 pack at the end of your work week and getting hammered or going out to the clubs and dancing and or you're more worried about smoking your pot or getting together with your girlfriends and freaking having, you know, a big drama fest and talking about other people, which is unbiblical, by the way, you should not be gossiping about other people. Or you're too worried about binge watching the latest whatever on Netflix. Listen, this is not for you. And I'm not saying that to be judgmental. I'm not saying that to make, you know, put shame on you. Listen, there are people out there that are leaders. There are people that are followers. All right. When the, when the declaration, I believe it was, or the constitution, excuse me, I think it was the constitution was being written. I believe that was, uh, what was that? Ben Franklin that wrote that. And then only two other men, I think, if and I'm trying to remember correctly now, oh boy, now I just, I want to make sure I'm not saying anything wrong here. Let me, well, right here on the fly, let me just make sure, because I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be wrong. Like I said, I'm still learning a lot, guys. Okay. Hold on a second. Let's see here. Who wrote the constitution? I want to say it was Ben Franklin. Hold on. Maybe it wasn't the Constitution. Who who was it? James Madison. Wait, am I thinking of the am I thinking of the Declaration of Independence? Declaration. Hold on. So, so the document was drafted. Let's see. So it was the Jack. Yeah, okay. So it was the Declaration of independent. So it was drafted by a committee made up of John Adams, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and Roger Sherman and Robert Livingston. But if I recall correctly, it was Ben Franklin that wrote it. And only two people, I want to say John Adams was one of them. I forgot who the other one out of these uh, other gentlemen listed here. But one of them wrote it, and I want to say it was Ben Franklin, if I memory serves me, and two people proofread it out of the uh, the whole room um, of men. Let me see. I'm just curious how many men were in Constitutional Hall for the Declaration of Independence. Just curious here. All right. So in all, there are 55 delegates 
that attended the Constitutional Convention sessions. Let's see, but only 39. So anyway, but that's what I'm saying now. Out of 55 men, one wrote it, two technically were proofreading it. The rest pretty much wrote on the coattails of those uh, few men and probably threw in their own comments and two cents about what this should say or that should say. But by and large, there's only a small percentage of men that were involved in this. Why am I saying this? Look, if you care deeply about your nation and what kind of country that you're going to leave to your kids and your grandchildren and your future, you know, great-grandchildren, and you care about leaving your mark in a positive way, not just for yourself and for your future generations, but for God, most importantly, you should really get involved with the assemblies. I tell you what, it'll be the best thing you ever do. going to close us out with the warrior's prayer. Heavenly Father, your warrior prepares for battle. Today I claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. I put on the girdle of truth. May I stand firm in the truth of your word so I will not be a victim of Satan's lies. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. May it guard my heart from evil, so I will remain pure and holy, protected under the blood of Jesus Christ. I put on the shoes of peace. May I stand firm in the good news of the gospel, so your peace will shine through me and be a light to all I encounter. I take the shield of faith. May I be ready for Satan's fiery darts of doubt, denial, deceit, so I will not be vulnerable to the spiritual defeat. I put on the helmet of salvation. May I keep my mind focused on you, so Satan will not have a stronghold on my thoughts. I take the sword of spirit. May the two-edged sword of your word be ready in my hands, so I can expose the tempting words of Satan. By faith, your warrior has put on the whole armor of God. I am prepared to live this day in spiritual victory. And remember, as it states in Joshua 1, 9, I command you, be strong and steadfast. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this is what it means to be a hardliner. We are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. We are warriors for Christ. And this is the Lord's fight. And this is the fight that we are fighting in our nation. Isaiah 42, 13 reminds us, The Lord goes forth like a warrior, like a man of war. He stirs up his fury. He shouts out his battle cry against his enemies. He shows his might. And that's what we will do. We will hold his hard line, and we will show his might. Have a good night, and God bless. Signing off until next time. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the day. That concludes our discussion. Remember, it's all about being firm, steadfast, 
to expand the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to His Heartline, and don't forget to visit us at www.hisheartline.com. Until then or the next time, we'll see you then. God bless.